what are you passionate about? What is it that gets the passion going in you? I know one of the things that I'm passionate about that I've uh, spoken a lot about before is gardening. And uh, last week I talked about the idea of a community garden. And based on the overwhelmingly positive response, yes, we will have a community garden. And I'm really excited about that. So thank you so much. Yep, that's a good thing. I think it's really going to connect us to the community, and I am excited about what's going to come from that. And I think it's a great way for God to leverage our possessions here as a church. Now, obviously, this morning we're talking about the subject of passion and how we can leverage our passion. And the very word passion brings to mind all kinds of things, from romance to the love of art, from sham wow commercials to purple-faced Viking fans. Passion is a very real part of our existence and deserves to be brought into the light of God's word and into the very presence of God himself. So let's take a look together at this vital aspect of our emotional makeup, passion. And if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one a little later on. Um, We'll get to that in just a little bit. But if you don't have one with you and you would like one to follow along with, uh, when we get to that time, just put your hand up right now. Our ushers will bring you one that you can borrow for the service. But go ahead and just put your hand straight up in the air, and they'll get you a Bible that you can follow along in as we get to those passages. So where does passion come from? What is it that brings that kind of emotion to the surface for us? The video highlighted several objects of our passion, but two that consistently get mentioned in conversations about passion are the people that you love and sports. Why? Why is that? Why do we get passionate about our family and friends? Well, because they have value for us, right? We get passionate about things that have value to us. And that's a very natural and very positive response. What is it about family and friends that make them so valuable to us? Well, I think their presence in our lives addresses one of two basic human needs that I've mentioned before and I'm certain to mention again. Family and friends are so valuable to us because they fulfill our need for security. We were created to be in relationship. So we were created with a need to feel like we belong somewhere with someone else. We were not created to be alone. We need to know that we belong and so we get passionate about the people that are important to us. And we do get passionate about sports, don't we? I have heard many conversations around here about each one of our professional teams and even some of our college teams. There's a lot of pride at stake when our team reaches the playoffs. And then when they're knocked out in the first round by the Yankees, (laughs) we channel our passion into celebrating the elimination of the Yankees in the next round. (laughs) Suddenly we become Texas Ranger fans. (laughs) So where does that passion for sports come from? Well, I think it comes from another need that we have wired into us, the need to win, the need for significance. And that need turns into a passion. And I think it's possible that all our passions can be traced to one of those two needs, the need for security or the need for significance. But more importantly, we need to acknowledge that our passion no matter what we direct it at, comes from our Creator. Passion is a God-given emotional response, and that has the potential to be used by the one who entrusted us with it. And by His power, we can use it to create 
eternal gain. So what is passion? Well, we'd better make sure we understand it before we talk much more about it. Is it just the feeling of liking something? Even just liking something a lot? No, it's much more than that. Passion is an intense emotion or enthusiasm for something. It's described by words like fervor, obsession, infatuation, excitement, zeal, craze, delight. Passion is an intense, driving, or overmastering feeling of conviction. The word passion comes from the Latin word passio, suffering, and that's why the time around Christ's crucifixion is referred to as the passion of the Christ. There's an intense devotion here. No matter how passionate we are about football, family, or, or fiber, we are always capable of reaching a higher level, a higher plane of passion. There's a level of passion upon which we are willing to suffer or die for the sake of that which brings us passion. And what I am not talking about today is simply deciding that we're going to be just as passionate about our faith as we are about our toys and our teams. I'm not asking that we muster up a passion for Christ that matches our passion for our kids. I'm talking about entering a realm where many of us may not have been before. And at that higher level, our passion can connect with God's power and be used to create eternal gain. Now think about what your passion accomplishes right now. Is the passion of the Minnesota Vikings fans really accomplishing what we would all like it to? Well, our passion for our families and friends does accomplish something, though, doesn't it? Now imagine that passion which God has given you being fully powered by God. James tells us in his letter that we are to draw near to God. And this, I believe, is the secret to connecting with God's power and his passion. And let me give you a visual that I hope will help us understand uh, this whole concept of talking about leveraging our passion and what God does to leverage our passion, all right? This stick, this stick represents our passion. All of us want to be known as people of genuine passion, I think. Uh, my heart hurt for the people in that video who could not come up with anything that they were passionate about. I don't want that life. In fact, I don't see that as life at all. If Christ came so that we would have life to the full, and he did, that life has to include passion somewhere. So the sticks are passion, something that we're all born with, something that's created in us. This lighter, this lighter is the power that we use to light our passion. It represents our own power. We decide what matters to us. And we opt to use that to fuel our passion, to ignite our passion. And I just woke up the firefighters in the congregation, so don't worry, it's wet. <laughs> If we can't seem to fuel it ourselves with our own power, we find some sort of stimulus to fuel it. Maybe a hobby, maybe a sport, or even some worthy cause. All the while, it's us trying to ignite our passion. Then we go to some conference, or we hear some long-haired preacher ramble on about passion, and we get more determined to be passionate people. We hold the lighter a little closer, and we keep it there a little longer determined to be the passionate person that we think God wants us to be. 
And maybe some of those things work. And there's a little flame. And so we get out and we show off that flame, knowing that people are going to be really impressed when they see the passion in our lives. Now, I'm describing about three years in my early 20s right now. Uh, my life had been completely void of passion in the years previous to that. And I was determined to get some of that passion that I had seen in those people that I admired so much. Now, let me show you an alternative source of fuel for your passion. That bonfire represents our creator, and his desire is that we live a life of passion. And all it takes is what James said. We need to draw near to God. Impressing that bonfire is not going to get your stick lit. Performing for the fire is not going to do it. But when you get close to it, you can't even prevent your, your stick from catching fire. And at the fall retreat that our youth have been at this month, they build bonfires like this on Saturday night. And so our teens are relating to this right now. When that fire is burning, you can't get close to it. And historically, that was the case with God. Man could not approach God, but then the veil was torn in two upon the death of Christ's precious Son, and we gained access to the Holy of Holies, to God himself. We can now approach God even with full confidence. And when we do encounter God up close and personal, we cannot prevent being set aflame by his power and having our passion ignited. It is unavoidable. I want to live on that higher plane of passion. I want my passion for my life, my passion for my family, my passion for justice and freedom to be lit by the bonfire that is the one whom I love, my blessed Redeemer. He is my passion, and it is by his power that I am fueled to make an impact in this world. So how do you get there? How do we connect our passion with God's power? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do in order for this fueling to happen is to look in the mirror. And by this I mean the big mirror, capital M. In whose image were you created? In God's image. And is our creator a passionate God? Yes, he is, definitely. Hebrews 12, 29 quotes Deuteronomy 4, 24 when it states that God is a consuming fire. And that was true when Deuteronomy was written, when Hebrews was written, and today when our stories are being written. What God does, he does not do halfway. He judges with passion. He saves with passion. You know what else he does? He creates with passion. One of the benefits of having young children is being able to return to experience some of the places that I got so excited about when I was their age. And the zoo is a classic example of this. I've always loved the zoo. I've never lost that. But as I grew older, I began to see the zoo through different eyes, just like most people do. Now I return to the zoo often to see life through the eyes of my sons. Uh, we love the tropics trail at the Minnesota Zoo. And when we get to that part of the trail where you go down under the floor to where that huge aquarium is, life just pauses for a little while for us. We sit on the floor, right up against the glass, and time just stands still for a while as we take in every little fish. The leopard shark, that guitar fish, 
all the characters from Finding Nemo. Every species is a wonder. Is our God passionate? Oh, yeah, he's passionate. He's passionate. He didn't just create. His passion poured out like Niagara Falls when he filled the sea with fish, the land with animals, and the sky with birds. Jeremiah 9.24 highlights another way in which his passion is demonstrated. This is Jeremiah speaking the words that God gave him. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God doesn't just exercise kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. That would be enough. But he delights in doing so. He is passionate about what he does. Now, David was one who certainly saw God's passion. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 65. Psalm 65. Psalm 65, and we're going to begin at verse 5 and read through verse 13. Psalm 65, 5 through 13, this is what it says. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders, Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Now that is not a picture of a robotic, impersonal, distant God. That's a picture of a passionate God. Is this the God that we reflect in our own lives. He is a God who demonstrates extravagant love, relentless compassion, abundant grace, limitless power, all that he pours out on his creation. And his creation gets passionate about fiber. The power that ignites us when we draw near to God can only be authentic. And this is a critical point. There will not be much eternal gain, if any, if we fake passion. I could stand up here and tell you that I am passionate about my children, but if you can't see that in my life, then the passion that I claim to have amounts to nothing. It has to be authentic and can only be authentic if it is imparted to us by God himself. And I know that's where my passion for my boys comes from. Here's what's at stake. I think we could all agree that our society has found a new interest in spiritual things. There are some religions that are experiencing dramatic growth in our nation. 
And that growth may be simply due to celebrity endorsement. But some of that growth is due to passion. A certain radio and television campaign that has recently shown up on the airwaves has drawn a lot of attention. Real people with real stories attached to a simple declaration. My name is so-and-so and I am a Mormon. Passion is contagious. I myself am drawn to people who clearly are passionate about something. They rub off on me as reflections of a passionate God. We have an enormous amount of potential to impact a society that is seeking after spiritual things. Why? Because our passion is a passion that can only be fueled by God himself. As you draw on that power and your passion burns brighter and stronger, I want to mention two things that I think every one of us has to monitor. First of all, our passion must be authentic. If people are hungry for spirituality here, they should be looking to the church to find spiritual fruit to feed that hunger, shouldn't they? Fake fruit is not going to satisfy. Spiritual behavior will not satisfy. Spiritual character is what this world is looking for. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read from verses 34 to 40. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. This is what it says. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Very familiar passage, right? We all know this one. The two greatest commandments. Now, the Pharisees were very comfortable with spiritual behavior. They knew all about the law. They observed 613 different commands. And I'm sure there was much debate over which one of those commands was the greatest. So they asked Jesus which one was the greatest, not because they respected his opinion so much, but because in their minds they were going to trap him. They expected Jesus to deny the law. And instead, Jesus quotes a part of Scripture that the Jews quoted every day. Jesus talks about love. Now, here's an example of a place where I believe God is asking us to slow down a bit as we read and quote his word. And I am guilty of quoting this passage this way. I say that Jesus responded to the Pharisees by stating the two greatest commandments as love God and love your neighbor. And I've been wrong every time I've done that. If that's the way God wanted it said, that's the way he would have written it in his word. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love God deflates the passion in the passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's what it says. That's a passionate authentic love and that is the kind of passion that will draw people to God 
I want to be the man that the psalmist had become when he wrote the words of Psalm 42, verse 1, which says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Now listen to the way that the message version of the Bible translates this verse. A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God, deep drafts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive. That's passion, authentic passion. You can have an interest in God. You can have a desire for spiritual things. But only God's power can bring your passion to a new, authentic level that will be noticed by the hungry and thirsty world around us. Out of that authentic passion will come eternal gain. Secondly, I believe that our passion has to be relevant. Our passion for God can and should be demonstrated in ways that are relevant to the world around us. Think about where there's common ground between you and your not-yet-saved friends and family members. People all around us get passionate about things. So do we. And what I am not suggesting this morning is that you give up all those things and become that guy in the lunchroom who's clearly passionate about his Bible but totally out of touch with reality. Let passion be a bridge that carries people from where they are to a clear communication of the gospel. Are you passionate about music? Ask God to fuel that passion with his power and use it to draw the people in your life to him. Introduce them to music that not only has a quality sound, but a quality message. Are you passionate about scrapbooking? Ask God to fuel that passion with his power and use it as a platform on which to form lasting friendships that will allow the people in your life to come into contact with God Almighty. You're passionate about your kids. What a great opportunity awaits when we offer that passion up to God for His purposes. I believe God wants to take our passion and elevate it for His glory. He wants to connect the passion that He's given us to His power and through that union create eternal gain. And that's what this whole sermon series has been about. Our lives plus God's power equals eternal gain. Our lives plus God's power equals eternal gain. We have to be connected to God in every aspect of our lives. We started the series looking at the potential that exists when we connect our peeves to God's power. Then we talked about connecting our pain to God's power. And then Peter spoke about our prayers. Last week we looked at connecting our possessions with God's power. And today we conclude by looking at our passion. Take the time to look at the other areas of your life, not just the ones that begin with the letter P. What aspects of your life need to be connected to God's power? Great eternal gain awaits. Next week, I'm going to start a two-part sermon that looks at something that I'm very passionate about. Since being called to pastor Chapel Hill Church, I've been seeking God for his priority for this next season of our life as a church family. And what he keeps bringing me back to is the concept of spiritual growth. So I want to talk to you about spiritual growth and what I believe that looks like for us as a church as we grow up together. 
There have been discussions with our elders and with others that have confirmed that this is where our focus needs to be right now. So we'll talk about what it means to grow up spiritually, both as a church and as individuals. And I'm praying that you will all be there for those sermons. This process of growth is something that will be so much more effective if we're all committed to it. So be there for that. I am, I am humbled beyond words at the opportunity to be able to lead us through this. This series has been very rewarding for me. Uh, much eternal gain, eternal gain has been achieved in my own life. And I pray that it has in yours as well and in ours as a church. So as we close this sermon and this series, I'm going to ask our chairman, Elder Ryan Beach, to close the series in prayer. And may you encounter God in a mighty way as you connect your lives with his power.